When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. This week, we are recapping Season 2, Episode 19, Teach Me Tonight. The Netflix bio for this episode is, As a favor to Luke, Rory tutors Jess, but during their first study session, Jess convinces Rory to go on a quick outing with him. Dun, dun. And I think we all know what this episode is about from that description. Yeah. Yeah. It's a juicy episode. After a couple episodes that were mostly like town shenanigans and stuff, this one's really getting into it. I know. I think for the last few episodes, I've been complaining about wanting some action. And boy, did we get it. We got an accident. And... I got what I asked for. <laughs> a huge fight. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for, everyone. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> All right. Okay. Before we get into that, let's try to dry, speak fast without crashing, or I don't know, I'm trying to relate it. <laughs> let's do talking fast. <laughs> okay. I will do my best. All right. Red light, yellow light, green light, go! So this week... Uh, we are, oh gosh, uh, Lorelai is selecting movies for the town movie night, and we also find out that Jess has been failing classes, which means that Luke has to figure out a way for him to catch up or he'll fail a grade. Luke's, uh, conclusion is that he needs Rory to tutor him, which, of course, Lorelai's not happy about. Uh, Rory and Jess have a tutoring session and then go driving and then there's a crash and Lorelai blames Jess for it and Christopher shows up and then we have a movie night and see Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) I got so off track there. (laughs) These things happen. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready for your turn? I think so. Stopwatch. Okay. Ready? Set. Dean is out of town and there is a movie night. Lorelai gets to be in charge of it only to discover that she just has to pick the yearling like Taylor would have, but she does get to play Kirk's movie, which is delightful. He is a filmographer. Meanwhile, Rory is having some drama in her life because she's been asked to tutor just by Luke. Um, Jess also took a lot of baseballs. That's not important. When they're tutoring, they go away, they get in a car crash, Lorelai is super mad, yells at Luke, and there's drama. Christopher's there. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. There's just so much. Like, why not throw in a bit of Christopher at the end? Just like the writers thought the same thing, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I've got stuff to say about that. Um, There are a lot of things in this episode that I'm like, conflicted about like I fully understand why people did what they did and I also think they could have done something else but I also don't imagine them ever doing something else Mm -hmm. yeah and I find myself wondering does the like is the show aware are the writers aware of all Mm -hmm. of these decisions and issues like 
are they trying to portray them? And we're just receiving what they were trying to do. Like, oh, yeah, that was a problem. Or mm-hmm. are they not aware? And they're like, no, that was just, you know, the proper reaction. Um, I'll yeah. stop. But this is vague and abstract. So <laughs> let's just slow down and we'll talk about these events as they unfold. <laughs> Sounds good. Our opening scene kind of teases us that it might be a chill episode, which, of course, it's not. Mm-hmm. But we're at Dosies and Lorelai and Rory are making fun of Marty, the new bag boy, for his jar twirls and stuff. We also conveniently find out in this scene that Dean is out of town, which is necessary for this episode to occur. Yeah, Lorelai says that Marty is after Dean's job. And that Dean better hurry back from his grandma's house. And this, my friends, is like a textbook example of an analogy. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. oh, the bag boy is trying to take Dean's job just like Jess is trying to take Dean's girlfriend. (laughs) It's a little on the nose, but maybe not because it was quite (laughs) metaphorical. But hey. (laughs) Yeah. And just as with. Uh, Rory's own denial she also denies that there's any issue like nobody would be after Dean's job and she's also saying nobody would have to be after her there's no problem quite parallel she denies it all Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah (laughs) nice (laughs) we also run into Taylor who is watching the take a penny so that people don't just take pennies you know (laughs) there we also find out that the town movie night is coming up and he's chosen the yearling again. I've never seen the yearling. There's like a 1940s version, then I think a 1990s version. And I've never, never seen either or read the book. So I learned. I yeah, <laughs> I was going to say I learned about the yearling from reading our ad copy for today's episode. <laughs> I did not. I was not familiar with this movie. <laughs> Yeah, which was all lifted straight from, I mean, the facts were all from Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be here without you. (laughs) Lorelai protests that the movie is the yearling again, and she protests so much that Taylor says, you know what, fine. Why don't you do it? Why don't you try to do this better? I love this move by Taylor because we critique him quite Mm -hmm. often, but we never really see anyone willing to take up his shoes necessarily. So I thought this was smart. And he relinquishes the movie picking crown to Lorelai. And this is my Lorelai's closet. (laughs) A more abstract (laughs) nomination. uh, But I was imagining what does the movie picking crown look like? Uh, Rory says it looks great on her. So it must be attractive, really shiny, perhaps with some gems i'm not quite sure but um i thought it would just be funny to go out of the box for this one (laughs) to me it sounds like it'd be like i'm just envisioning a paper crown like kids make out of construction paper (laughs) heavy is the (sighs) head that wears the movie picking crown lorelei will discover (laughs) yeah we also i mean i think it's you made a good point that nobody ever takes taylor's job and here we see somebody take his job and find out that he's actually doing it as well as anybody could. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That seems I feel like that's often how people feel about like their bosses and stuff. Yeah. You always hate your boss. I mean, not hate, but dislike your boss for the choices they make. But if you were in the same position, you probably have to make similar choices. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that kind of stuff. Not all yeah. the time. But yeah, like just to jump ahead because it's relevant right now, like later on when Lorelai and Rory are brainstorming ideas for the movie, Taylor kind of bursts their bubble, bringing them this huge binder of, of movies available through the vendor that they can use for, you know, projecting the movies. And it's a very limited selection of super bizarre movies they list a bunch of titles and descriptions and they're all super random and they come to the realization that oh the yearling is like the only really possible option of all of these horrible options (laughs) yeah at first when they were just talking about like something that everybody would like and like there's got to be something that everybody would like other than the yearling because mm-hmm. it sounds like a super grim movie to me. Mm-hmm. But if you have to pick just from this one list that's available, it makes it a little bit difficult. Anyways, after this, after the uh, opening credits, we're at home and it's an ungodly hour. It's 645 and they're getting ready for school and work and stuff. And this is when Christopher calls. Apparently, they have every single Monday at 645 a.m. They have a phone date. And that just sounds ridiculous to me. Why? <laughs> I would never be able to have a sustained conversation for that long in the morning. Yeah. I'm quite curt in the morning, believe it or not, for me. I probably seem pretty <laughs> talkative on this podcast, but if you catch me in the morning, please don't talk to me. <laughs> yeah, I would rather I have like a two-hour morning mm. prep that I have to do before I can step outside and see other people. <laughs> And that happens after 6.45. Yeah. Meanwhile, Christopher (laughs) seems like at this hour, he's already got his life together. He looks like a responsible adult even more so than when we started Mm -hmm. the series with him. He's got like groomed hair and a tie and a dress shirt. And he's calling to notify Rory that he can't do their full call. He's already sent her an email. So did he write that at like 6 a.m. before putting on the tie? I don't really know. But um, so he's, you know, being very proactive in his responsibilities here, like not just not calling her, but saying, hey, add 40 minutes to my tab next week. And I he also sent an email, which I thought was like going a mile beyond in a way. I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. really want to compliment him for doing what he should be doing, (laughs) I suppose. But I did notice that he was at least doing um, beyond the bare minimum, I would say, like a good amount. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, Yeah, being communicative. (laughs) The last thing is that Rory does like follow up um, by asking how is Sherry? And he says like he really avoids this question saying like, oh, same old, same old. And I just wanted to mark that as one moment of foreshadowing for events Mm -hmm. that are to come down the line. Very true. I just had the thought that maybe Christopher read one of those like self-help books by billionaires that has their morning routine that starts at like 4.30 a.m. How to get your life together for dummies, maybe is what he read. Yeah. <laughs> but we also get um, Rory asks if he wanna, wants to talk to Lorelai. Lorelai is in the background like making the slash your throat kind of like no, no, no mm-hmm. kind of motion. And Christopher also says, no, he's really got to go. They're both obviously still in a bit of a fight. The last time we saw them was when Christopher was in town for the debutante ball, I believe. Mm -hmm. 
and Lorelai kind of made the move on him, and then he told her about it was the Sherry. It was the debate. Sorry. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when when we met Sherry, yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. So yeah, it, it has been kind of a rocky time for them recently, and Rory wants to know why they're fighting, but really, it just seems like they need some space. <laughs> right. Right. From there, the day moves forward to Stars Hollow High, which we have not seen in quite some time. And we arrive in a class. Lane is in the class taking a test. And who shows up late but Jess, of course. He bothers her for a pen or pencil, and he keeps pestering her till she finally gets one out of her bag for him. And... Uh, I wanted to nominate Jess here. He's reading Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut, and this was Uh. my Rory's bookshelf. It's humorous to me. This is classic. I think this is classic Jess characterization. You know, he is the the bad boy who shows up late to class. You think he's, you know, in the last 15 minutes of class, you think, okay, he's just going to scribble some answers on the test. But no, he asked for the pen so that he could write mar- like marginal comments on the novel of his picking. And he's just going to read it in the back of the class while the teacher looks on disapprovingly. And it's just so good and bad at the same time, you know? <laughs> like, we're both teachers. Yeah. So if I saw someone doing this, it would be like, <laughs> oh, how do I manage this from a classroom behavioral standpoint or whatever? And it would be annoying because I don't want to have to deal with that. (laughs) But from just like the joy of an independent book nerd, it's quite admirable in a sense. Um, (laughs) But to provide a little background context for those interested, Slaughterhouse-Five is from 1969 and it's this sort of semi-autobraphic autobiographic and science fiction anti-war novel it's pretty like non-linear and Vonnegut in general has this sort of satirical darkly humorous approach to novels uh basically like exactly the kind of thing that I think Jess would read Mm -hmm. so I thought it was a very fitting uh allusion to a book there I've never read it but it all it seems like in the same kind of genre (laughs) I mean, not genre, but, like, the same kind of category as, like, other super masculine novels. Like, these are things that men are proud of having read. Like, if you ask a man their favorite book, it's either, like, Kerouac or Hemingway or Slaughterhouse-Five or something like that. Mm. I don't know if I'm being judgmental from the outside, never having read it, but that just... Yeah, I haven't read much... Vonnegut really not at all but I don't categorize him in that way from my tangential knowledge interestingly Vonnegut was from Indianapolis where I went to undergrad so there's like a museum there and a mural of him and I think what is a little different is like the the satire and the dark humor and the critique and I think he's just doing more interesting things If there are people listening who know more about Vonnegut, please tell us because we are interested, but we are not readers of everything. So I'm kind of speaking from not enough knowledge here. (laughs) Yeah, that's like way out of my wheelhouse. So I'm just judging from being judgy, (laughs) which can be fun. (laughs) 
But this is all leading to the next scene, which is at the principal's office, and Luke has been summoned. The principal explains that Jess has been doing nothing, like literally nothing. He barely comes to class. When he does come to class, he doesn't do any work. And then he's also there's also the issue of the disappearing baseballs, which sounds like a fun mystery novel <laughs> or something. And he suggests the only real way for Jess to kind of get back on track at this point is if, I mean, he really starts doing his work and everything, but he's also going to need a tutor. And he, the principal first suggests that uh, Luke help him. Luke says he can't really help with the work. And there's nobody else in the family because out of everybody, he's the Einstein Mm -hmm. in the clan, which I thought was a funny little tidbit. Mm -hmm. It still remains that Jess needs a tutor. And Luke also promises to look for the baseballs, which brings me back to like when we were first introduced to Jess and he was doing kind of little pranks all over town, like things that annoyed people but weren't harmful in any way. Mm -hmm. Like stealing all the baseballs is pretty funny. Mm -hmm. It's not harmful to anybody. And it's just like it's more of a prank than a crime, I would say. It's hard to think of more serious things that he did, but stealing these baseballs is really funny. (laughs) And the principal says they've been using tennis balls. Very different results. (laughs) And Luke says, I'm sure it is. I can just imagine (laughs) because tennis balls are all bouncy. Right. That would be pretty fun. (laughs) It's certainly not good. He should certainly return them, but it seems pretty harmless, like you said. (laughs) The next scene is after the school day and work day, I believe. Lorelai and Roy are hanging out at Luke's, picking out movie titles. And like we said earlier, this is when Taylor shows up to kind of tell them the harsher reality of their movie selection. Then Luke heads upstairs to talk to Jess. Luke is trying, he's like, Luke is really talking around the issue until he is a bit more direct with Jess um, about talking to the principal. He mentions the baseballs and Jess smirks. <laughs> and Luke yeah, is like, <laughs> what would you need 500 baseballs for? Mit- un- not understanding the nature of a prank. It's not that Jess needs the baseballs. Yeah. It's that he took them when other people need them. And now they're using tennis balls to comedic effect. Like we already laughed about it. <laughs> He's probably also hidden them in some weird place in school. I would love if he'd hidden them like all different places, you know, like you you just keep uncovering a baseball (laughs) underneath like, yeah, random things in lockers. That would be great. It's not like he has them all in Luke's tiny apartment, I I think. I also had my Lorelai's closet when they're downstairs in the um, diner. She's wearing this like cool choker necklace. And it has like an iridescent shell hanging on it. And I just, I liked it. And I also didn't really know any other clothing for the episode. That's why I went for the invisible nomination. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of other things to keep keep track of this episode. Mm -hmm. But um, in the conversation also, Jess makes it clear that he doesn't, care about school he doesn't care about getting his grades up or having to be a a junior another year and being like a fifth year senior in the end Luke asks him like where do you want to be in your future where do you want to be in your life and Jess's answer is 
I want to be 20 miles south of wherever you are, which is clearly just like a lashing out quip. Mm -hmm. I don't think he actually feels that way about Luke, but he's feeling a bit confronted at the moment (laughs) and just wants to get out of there. So yeah. Yeah. Rough. Why do you think, uh, and Jess himself provides a reason for this later on, and we can either believe that or have our own ideas, but why do you think Jess is so avoidant of succeeding in school and in general of like talking or thinking about his future? Oh, I don't know. I think a lot of it probably comes down to his childhood, not to get psychoanalytic, <laughs> but if he like was probably every time that Liz got together with somebody new or something or they moved to a new place, she'd start talking about all the things they could do there in their future and stuff like that. And then, of course, it would be completely uh, changed when she moved on to the next place or person. So he probably doesn't have a great uh, connotation with the future. Mm -hmm. And he's probably just never had the opportunity to dream his own dreams. Yeah. And we see, like, he is successful in the end. And I had two siblings who didn't graduate high school. They both dropped out for similar reasons. And they're both successful right now I'm not saying that it's fine to drop out of high school like definitely graduate high school but sometimes I think it's just like there's just so much going on in your mind and your emotions and everything that like thinking about the future is just so impossible for especially for teenagers Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's not getting deep enough or getting too deep no I think the (laughs) childhood and the moving around as the source is definitely a major reason I yeah I was thinking about the perhaps general lack of support or perceived support Mm -hmm. and that maybe Luke is the first person in a while to be persistently supporting him and it's taking a minute for that to kick in in terms of feeling comfortable enough with that like level of support to use it to like inspire for future success He's also, like, his main defense mechanism seems to be, like, setting himself apart from everybody. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, blaming people for not liking him Mm -hmm. or excluding him, which then makes him exclude himself more. And, I mean, the easiest way to set yourself apart from other teens is to do exactly what he's doing. (laughs) Refuse to take part in the one thing that he's supposed to be doing. Yeah, Yeah, I think... In a lot of ways, he's closed off to caring, both like in terms of accepting Mm -hmm. care from other people and then also in terms of he himself caring about things because that's a great way to get hurt, right? Which he probably has been in the past. So (laughs) he's very shut down and in contrast, like while also in an interesting contrast to the fact that of anyone, he could really succeed. Like he's quite equipped to succeed, but... Um, it's easier to not try in a lot of ways, probably. I could see him, like, in a different universe, becoming an English teacher, like a high school English teacher. Mm. He would be great at that as an adult. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact remains that he has not been participating in school, so he needs a tutor, Mm. and Luke goes out to seek a tutor for him now. I think this scene is later the same day. Like, this episode is a very long single day then. 
he I have this is a scene that I have some I don't know conundrums about definitely some qualms about um because he shows up he's super awkward he's brought Lorelai some brownies and then he just wants to go and talk to Rory and he comes into her room and it's a very awkward scene and then he asks her if she would tutor Jess um Rory of course agrees to it and my first thought to this was I'm I like that he asked Rory. We almost never see people directly ask Rory th- if she wants to do things. Mm-hmm. But then he comes out of the room and Lorelai asks what he was asking Rory about. Mm-hmm. And he tells her and she's uncomfortable with it. She says, and she says something which I really don't like. She says, Rory's so sweet. She'd never say no to anybody, which we've already critiqued that in the past. Like Lorelai refuses to believe that Rory has any agency in anything it seems Mm. and I think that happens later in this episode as well yeah I didn't love that but yeah like you said conundrums because I'm like the flip side of that is we've also talked about how Rory is such a people pleaser (laughs) and it's a it's an impulse she's learning to like fight against you know so I was like you know it is true that in a lot of situations she does come feel compelled to say yes to please people including like pleasing Lorelai mm-hmm. so it's like it feels both ways <laughs> and I also like I also see Lorelai's point in wanting Luke to have asked her first because Rory is still you know a kid <laughs> Lorelai can say when and where she goes um to places technically she doesn't often but I I don't know so I'm I'm conflicted because I think it was nice that he asked Rory and but I also see Lorelai's point of view though I think she's also overreacting Mm -hmm. because of how much she doesn't like Mm -hmm. Jess (laughs) yeah I agree I don't think it's not necessarily that I think Luke needed to ask Lorelai for her permission but maybe more so that he could have told her it felt a yeah. bit like subterfuge to like That's walk true. past her and not tell her what he was going to ask Rory. <laughs> like he purposely, yeah. I think, made the choice not to tell her. And he also brought the brownies as bribery. So it's like, I think what we're putting our finger on is that there is a bit of like manipulation from Luke in this situation where he did all of this pretty effectively to get the result that he wanted, which is Rory tutoring Jess. I think he did it with the best intentions. And in a lot of ways, um, I think he went about it fairly okay, like knocking on her door so politely and requesting the favor from (laughs) her. But as we pointed out, I do think there are things he could have done differently. And one of those things is that... He asks Rory, she says yes, then he says, tonight, (laughs) which is... Yeah, that's a bit... It reminded me of Sherry, like, actually interesting comparison, because Sherry asked Lorelai rather than Rory, so that is something Mm. different. But Sherry was also like, tonight? (laughs) And it's like, I think a more ethical way to ask Rory of this favor would have been, would you consider tutoring Jess? You can tell me yes or no tomorrow. Give her time to think about it. Yeah. Not If she wants to reject him, she can, like, work up to think about how to do it. And then if she does say yes, well, she has, the like, time to think about it. And then I don't think it's fair to be, like, you should tutor him this very evening. You know, that's a bit <laughs> presumptuous and, like, putting on some pressure. 
Yeah, kind of asking her to, like, put aside her own work. Yeah. Though she does seem to have gotten all her work done before. Mm-hmm. I, I also liked his rationale for asking Rory. Like, he didn't just ask her because he knows that she's smart, though that's part of it. But he asked her rather than, like, hiring a professional tutor because he knows Jess wouldn't listen to a professional tutor any more than he, he's listening to teachers or anything now. But he respects Rory, mm-hmm. which I thought was a great like observation Rory has just recently shown herself to be able to get Jess to like help out Luke you know Mm -hmm. and he needs it so it is clear that Jess listens to Rory and I liked I liked that he emphasized the respect Mm -hmm. that they have for each other there rather than making it all about yeah because one of Lorelai's complaints or well Rory Like Lorelai says, I'm not sure if this is a good idea. And one of the reasons she offers is that, oh, you don't even know if Jess will listen to her. Little does Lorelai know, Mm -hmm. we spent all of our last podcast episode talking about the running bit, which is Rory bossing Jess around that entire episode. Like, and he is actually listening to her. We don't really see, like, we don't even see that level of listening to Luke from Jess, you know, it's like really unparalleled. So I think there's a lot of reasons why Luke's instincts in asking Rory to do this for Jess are on the right. They're good instincts, really, I think. Be nice if it had worked. (laughs) But that takes us to the next scene, which I think you're right, is just that evening after they've had dinner at Luke's. (laughs) Kirk shows up first, um, to tell Lorelai about his creative ambitions as a filmmaker. And he has been working on this film for the past five years, but, you know, he can rush it together for the movie night coming up. And he'd like Lorelai to show it for him. I can't wait for this because it's great. (laughs) This was my Stars Hollow moment nomination. Because when we talk about what is the aesthetic of Stars Hollow? What is this idea? What is quintessential Stars Hollow? A film by Kirk is up there and just like <laughs> iconic associations I have with this show in Stars Hollow. And I had no idea that the first film by Kirk was this early on. I had no idea it was in this episode. When I read the bio, I was like dreading the car crash drama. And to find out that there's the delightfulness of the film by Kirk added into this is like, I was just thrilled in this scene when I realized what Kirk was talking about. So I had to nominate it um, later on. I'm kind of like doubling up my nominations with it, to be honest. But um, I just love also Kirk's little backstory he's offering here. He's like, you know, I do like my blue collar work referencing the running bit of how he is so many of these different positions in the town. But he's like truly at heart, he's an artist, you know, and I just, I love that bit. Um, I'm just so excited for them yeah. to play it later on. He delivers it all in his like classic kind of stoic seriousness. Yeah. But we also get the feeling at this point that Lorelai is stalling because Rory is going to be staying afterwards to tutor Jess. And finally... Lorelai stands up to leave and Rory asks her if Dean calls not or to tell Dean that she is studying with Lane girl which sends off (laughs) yeah alarm bells in Lorelai's head uh rightfully I believe Mm -hmm. 
there's no like this is an Rory knows what she's doing she knows that she's doing something that's going to hurt Dean it's also unfortunate that Dean is has like led up to this point so much that she's afraid to tell him that she's tutoring Jess Mm -hmm. something that in other circumstances should be okay but she also knows how she feels about Jess so she feels guilty about it we just the last line we had from Dean is his realization that she likes Jess so there's just so much boiling under the surface of her asking Lorelai to lie and Despite all of my issues with Lorelai's whole Team Dean problems throughout the last few episodes, I do think Lorelai is right here to call out Rory for asking her to lie on her behalf, mm-hmm. saying, like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's a suspicious way to start off a tutoring gig. Um, Jess comes downstairs as Lorelai is leaving, and he's, like, in a very sassy mood. And he, <laughs> Lorelai looks at him and says bye Jess and his response is to look at her very seriously and say ma'am and this is my Jess sass attack for the episode. Mine too. Oh my god. (laughs) If looks could kill Lorelai's face after he has said ma'am to her if looks could kill she is like a withering stare at him and it's just like these two and they're like they're like each other's nemesis really at this point. Yeah. It was hilarious. Like that one word truly set her off. <laughs> yeah, he knew he knew the exact the exact thing. <laughs> but that also sets the tone for this tutoring session. Rory first has to threaten Jess that she'll leave if he doesn't bring down his books. And then he sits there and he does magic tricks, which we haven't seen him do magic since his first introduction episode. And I wish we got more of that because it'd be so fun. I thought, yeah, yeah, he's just secretly a magician, which is kind of a geeky hobby. At least in TV and movies, it's portrayed as geeky, so it was a bit surprising. (laughs) He's he's such a complex, like bad boy, book nerd, magic geek. Like that's not a combination you see. (laughs) And he works a lot. Like yeah, he's got a lot of things going on. But this is yeah, this whole tutoring session, I. Just have to say, if I was tutoring Jess, I would be so annoyed. <laughs> I, yeah, like, me too. I'd be so pissed As a off. viewer, I found a few of these things charming. Like, often really the smile he would have, which was such like a mischievous smile, that was charming. That would get me at moments. But throughout, I was just like, this would annoy me so much. I'd be like, can you please just work with me here? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it would probably be like if I... Where Rory at this point and Jess was acting like this, the ick would start setting in because I'd just be like, no. It's a turn this, off, yeah. This guy, seriously. <laughs> but that doesn't seem to happen with Rory. After a while, he suggests that they get out of there, which of course is a weird thing to suggest when you're supposed to be tutoring. And he says that he'll study if they go get ice cream He'll be sure to, you know, buckle down after that and really study. (laughs) And Rory says yes, or we assume that she says yes, because the next scene we see is them driving in the car, in her car, just driving, and they're eating ice cream cones. Mm -hmm. Did you see the way, like, the line read he does 
when he's asking about like getting ice cream in cones like <laughs> i think people i do that's like an inside that. thing that fan i think team just fans will bring up how he says in cones and like his passion <laughs> for ice cream in cones because he keeps like repeating it throughout the scene it's it's kind of funny if you watch back he says in cones in a pretty funny way <laughs> what is the whole reason to leave the diner is for the cones it's apparently. yeah i mean that's the ruse of course mm-hmm. really it's more about like having it be more like a date in quality time rather than studying and i just wanted to pick up on some something you had mentioned so i think it's an important detail that rory says she'll read othello while jess drives because it's going to be very important later on that Jess is driving. And when she proposes it, it doesn't really seem like something she really spends a lot of time thinking about. It's more so associated with like, okay, I'll let, I'll let, I'll give into his charms. We can go get ice cream, but I'm going to try to like continue this whole studying thing or the ruse of it at least. But people are pretty weird about their cars pretty often and mm-hmm. it's my uh, it's my understanding that for the majority of people, it takes a lot of trust to allow someone else to drive your car for a lot of practical reasons like insurance and just your car costing a lot of money, all of that stuff. And to add on to that, this is the car that Dean provided for her. Yeah, so many layers, mm-hmm. layers of betrayal. And- <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't really thought about that in this moment where she offers that he drive. I'm like, I can't remember the last time I ever let anybody drive my car. Yeah, she easily could have said, I'll drive, but you have to read Othello. Like, or I don't know. I think the fact that it was such an easy subconscious decision for her is like speaking to where her state of mind really is. Like just her not even yeah. thinking about Dean or that it was Dean's car or the implications of it or it's just like she doesn't even realize that she trusts Jess so much probably but she does still have him drive it's also something she won't take responsibility for a decision that she makes that she won't take responsibility for later on but we'll get to that yeah um because the next scene is them driving back with ice cream Jess is kind of being a bit reckless here. Yes. He, like, tells her to take the wheel because his cone is dripping. And this is some like, if I were in a car with somebody doing this, they would, it would freak me out so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if they were just driving around town. But this isn't the moment that leads to the accident. Yeah, but I I agree with you, though. I, I find that behavior so annoying. It would be another moment yeah. of it. Yeah. But within the larger story, I do find it incredibly interesting that when he like lets go the wheel and makes her take it I like with my bad memory I thought that was when the crash was going to happen and it doesn't so I but it's just very interesting that like they show reckless behavior that could lead to a crash but then later on we're supposed to think or at least in Rory's version of the story it's like he wasn't being irresponsible it was just a regular accident Mm -hmm. so it's like they put in two things two you know two things so it's complicated you know (laughs) yeah seriously we interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor another stars hollow town event is upon us 
It is time for our annual town movie night, and this year, you are in for a treat. When life gets you down, who do you turn to? When all your siblings are dead, who lifts your spirits? When your only friend has just died, who brings you comfort? Your pet deer, of course. Yes, you guessed it, the feature film this year will be the 1946 classic, The Yearling. No, don't talk to Lorelai about it. Now you might say, but we watched The Yearling for the last three years. Isn't there any other movie to pick? No, no, there is not. But there is a new draw to the movie night this year, something you've never seen before. Oh boy, are you in for a treat. This movie night will be the premiere of some local talent. Our man about town, meaning he's literally everywhere in town, Kirk has finished a film years in the making, and you certainly do not want to miss this. For listeners of Talking Fast, there will be something to help you drive the memories of, redacted for spoilers, out of your mind. Just mention Talking Fast at the projector's booth and help yourself to a hearty glass of the infamous Founder's Day Punch, making its reprisal this one time only in order to prevent any undue lawsuits that might arise from the night's special screening. That's talking fast for a glass of the potent punch. Go ahead, forget, and come again next year. We, after this, get um, Rory starting to confront him about, you know, why he is failing school. She says that he's smarter than everybody and could easily pass, like, with top grades and everything, so why doesn't he do it? And... He, his, and she also is asking, like, why, what about college and that kind of stuff? And his response is that he's never going to college. One of his excuses is that adults hate him. And this, I felt, was, like, a super teenage thing to say. But also, Mm -hmm. he has had a past where adults have just kind of shunted him off onto the next person. Mm Mm-hmm. And he came to Stars Hollow and all the adults immediately hated him, <laughs> like Lorelai. Like, yeah. Didn't even give him a chance. Mm-hmm. So he's not wrong. Right. <laughs> it's definitely both things. Though Rory picks up on the whole teenage part of it and says, don't give me that. I'm so misunderstood. Misunderstood Kurt, yeah. Kurt Cobain, which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah. I. She keeps saying that he could do more. And I don't know. I feel like this is something that's kind of futile to tell a teenager especially one that doesn't want to think about their future like saying you could do more is just kind of more aggravating than helpful Mm -hmm. because it's saying like you could do more at this moment you're a failure but earlier than that earlier she was saying like you could do anything or be anything you want like Mm -hmm. why aren't you acing this classes I know you can so I read this more as like her stating her belief in him and his capabilities. And I almost felt like it deepens the sort of crush she has on him because it's not just that she thinks he's cute or that she gets along with him, but this is a sort of a sort of deeper relationship of supporting and seeing someone and believing in them. And I found it a little inspirational, I guess, especially because we're questioning <laughs> How many people in Jess's life have genuinely, like, no holds barred supported him with all his faults and his, you know, good qualities? And so it's like Luke and Rory, I think, are the two people currently trying to do that if he lets them, you know? (laughs) Yeah. No, that's true. And it also, like, it is 
pretty much what he tells her five seasons from now. (laughs) (laughs) But that's jumping the gut a bit. (laughs) Yeah, actually, the second half of their conversation, he does flip it on her. Like, okay, enough about me. Mm -hmm. What about you? Like, what are your dreams? And she talks about the Harvard journalism, Christiane Amapur, overseas correspondent. And at first, he kind of teases her a bit because he's like, can you really that sounds like it's going to be a little too rough for you. And she kind of absorbs that and is like, I I hope it won't be too rough for me. And when he sees yeah. the impact his words had, he kind of wheels it back a little bit. And he's like, I'm sure you'll do it. I didn't mean to freak you out. Like, I promise you'll do it. And I like <laughs> what you said, five seasons from now, um, I was suddenly like, is this the basis of why his speech about how could you drop out of Yale Mm -hmm. you have to go to Yale it's like does it come back to this conversation in this car of like he promised she would be successful and he's returning that same support to her and his belief in her and it's like you said you're gonna do this and now you really have to do it it's full circle later on (laughs) yeah so romantic (laughs) I also saw this as part of what we've kind of been tracking with like the beginnings of Rory's breakdown in a few seasons where with when she's faced with the possibility that maybe she might have to change her plans Mm. or maybe like think of something new because Jess is right like her being like a overseas wartime journalist does not fit her whatsoever and maybe she could do it but I don't think it's the thing she should do Mm -hmm. And just, like, the fact that she's uh, so freaked out by possibly having, like, think, even thinking about changing her uh, plan that she's had since she was a kid, I think that that's kind of indicative of what happens later when her plan is, like, a little bit more structural, structurally mm. like, crumbled by uh, Mitch in the future. Yeah. That is such a good point, name, right? Mitch, um... <laughs> You're just on like, yeah. you You know him so well. You've got a nickname for him. <laughs> for some reason, I completely forgot the last name for a moment. So I was like, Huntsberger. it's a, some hoity-toity rich person first name. Must we Mitch? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mitch is in our audience. That's funny. Yeah, I wanted to say that's such a good point about Rory's rigidity when it comes to her dream and that she's following this script that she might have made Lorelai might have made maybe they made it together but any like departures or edits to that script she is so resistant to those and it's like is Dean at that part of the script right now Mm -hmm. and that's part of why she's like they've told this story of her first love and what a good reliable boyfriend and all of this stuff and yet she just needs to edit it she's got to make some changes revise revision Rory it's yeah wonderful (laughs) it's a wonderful part of the process (laughs) I like I fully relate to it's hard to what she's yeah. going through yeah like as somebody who is now 31 and I've been working towards a singular goal for the last 13 years of my life and now at the end of that goal I'm like wow I really need to pivot mm-hmm. like you know I understand what she is going through even at this point when it's just like the thought of having to pivot but yeah mm-hmm. still it's something something another notch on what we've been tracking I think Yeah, when we're saying all of this, like, Rory should do this, Rory should do that, it's not necessarily, like, a critique of Rory, but more so picking Mm -hmm. up on what the writers are putting down, I think, pretty effectively. And, like, 
recognizing like, oh, wow, they put so many clues as to what will happen later on, like a lot earlier on than maybe some people realize. And so I think it's like a well done portrayal of how hard it is to just grow up and have dreams and aspire (laughs) to things and whatnot. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. After this conversation, they do have a cute little moment of eye contact. The way they look at each other, it's like the kind of look that you kiss after. You know, yeah, it, was, it was a meaningful. Or- <laughs> it wasn't just any look, you know. <laughs> it was the tension is building. Mm-hmm. And Jess says, they're almost back at the diner. And he says, well, he could just keep driving straight and they'd be back at the diner. Or he could turn right and just drive around. And Rory says, turn right. And that confirms so many Mm -hmm. things. Iconic. For both of them and for all of the audience. He says, as you wish. (laughs) And he looks thrilled. (laughs) Oh, I just realized. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's a Princess Bride throwback. It has to be. You can't tell (laughs) me that Jess has read as much or seen as much as he has and hasn't read The Princess Bride. (laughs) In that case, I forgot to do a Rory's Bookshelf for this episode, so I'm making that my Rory's Bookshelf. Wonderful. <laughs> because The Princess Bride is a great movie mm-hmm. for anybody who hasn't seen it. Wesley is in love with, I forget her real name, but Princess Buttercup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the story starts off with he is her servant, and so every time she asks him to do something, he says, as you wish. And then later on in the story, that becomes like the tell, the telling sign that it's him coming Returning, to, yeah yeah coming back to her so such a good movie <laughs> i know i haven't watched it for a long time mm-hmm. and to follow up on this turn right moment it's just so like we we were just talking about rory dealing with like uncertainty and how she's so resistant to that but she was so decisive insane Mm -hmm. turn right it's like she was so confident in that decision and the choice to spend more time with Jess especially after their fairly like meaningful conversation she's really like taking charge and it is the um the like the chaotic force of like doom (laughs) that follows that is so like ironic and really like why do they get in a car crash like, why? Yeah. You know, like, in terms of the story, like, they just, like, it's something bad has to happen that is going to provide conflict so that their relationship can't move forward. It's like... Cosmic interference or something. <laughs> Sherman Palladino interference. Um, yeah. <laughs> it just makes me think, I think we've talked about before, the, like, the sex politics of Gilmore Girls and how it's secretly fairly puritanical. Like, if you have sex, yeah, bad things sex will happen. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, here, if you share a knowing look and then decide to spend more time with the guy you're not dating, bad things will happen. It's, like, almost like a moral retribution for her decision here, which is so weird. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh my God. She spited <laughs> down, like... Yeah. Oh. Wow. But that is exactly what happens. The next scene we get, Lorelai's at home and Rory calls. At first, Lorelai is just babbling like it's a normal phone call. And then Rory asks her to be calm when she tells her what she has to tell her. And she was in an accident. She's at the hospital. And Lorelai 
freaks out Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the first time yeah it won't be the last a lot of tension was built in that scene yeah Lorelai arrives at the hospital and yells at the nurse working very reminiscent of Emily yelling at the hospital we called her out Mm -hmm. for that um but Lorelai goes in to find Rory who has a minor hairline fracture to her wrist um and I just had like a dear friend of mine who really just um shattered her wrist (laughs) like she had a horrible she pretty much broke her arm and a lot of different bones and all of this stuff in her arm and to hear like the way that Rory is treated by Lorelai as if like some horrible injury happened just made me like it's just Mm -hmm. someone in my own life had such a worse injury to their wrist recently that made me kind of scoff at this like I get that Lorelai is so concerned I would be too but like She makes them do an additional set of x-rays, even though the doctor says they've checked her out. And it's just a bit irrational, really. Mm -hmm. I think she is clearly in an irrational headspace, and that's what they're trying to portray. But, like, this was the first sign, I think, that I saw Lorelai is not thinking entirely logically now that Roy has been hurt by, she thinks, Jess. Yeah. And it's just going to snowball from there. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because as soon as Rory leaves with the doctor to get those more tests, Lorelai's face just like turns from anxiety to anger mm-hmm. <laughs> in such good face acting. And she storms out of the hospital. Then we see her storming into the diner looking for Jess. This is where I have my Friday night dinner with how. Lorelai is reacting to this and again I'm conflicted about it because I understand where she's coming from like her kid is hurt in the hospital Mm -hmm. but I'm what I want to critique is that she has zero blame whatsoever for Rory in any of this and Jess is 100% the villain and she's not even treating him like a teenager who has made a mistake she's treating him like a full-grown adult who purposefully did this to her daughter yeah And Rory, like, again, as we mentioned earlier, who suggested that he drive, who chose that they keep driving around, Mm -hmm. is given no responsibility in any of this. Mm -hmm. And Lorelai is so obsessed with the fact that Jess has done this to her daughter that she, like, completely berates poor Luke, who is also freaking out in a similar Mm -hmm. way because he doesn't know where Jess is and he was just in an accident. And it's just like, Lorelai, you're so... I understand the like being freaked out and being like if there's any time to be irrational this is probably one of those times but as you mentioned it's it's a hairline fracture she's fine I don't I don't know I'm just conflicted mm-hmm. about how to feel No I agree with you and I place my Friday night dinner critique in the same spot here in the episode for the reasons that you were describing um and to like describe a bit more of her actions you said she storms in which is a perfect description uh, and I would like to contrast this with Luke earlier who knocked so politely on Rory's door mm-hmm. when he wanted to go talk to her it's not a perfect comparison of course because Luke was in a very different state of mind but I have a hard time believing Luke would just storm into their house and into various rooms while Lorelai was like following him around trying to ask clarifying questions. Um, I think there's yeah. I don't think he would do that. I could be wrong. But Lorelai is like 
goes through the diner. She goes upstairs. She goes in all these different rooms. It's a very much like an invasion of Luke's space. Like, yeah. looking for Jess. And what is she going to do when she finds him if he was there? Like, it seems like she would physically assault him or something like that. Or at least yeah. berate him. It's like a, a mob with pitchforks and, like, hunting down yes. <laughs> somebody, you know, out of their own beds. Yeah, <laughs> She's very hellbent. And meanwhile, Luke is just so confused. And Lorelai is giving him such snippets of information like, oh, there was an accident or why don't you know like what happened? And Luke is like just so confused. He's trying to piece together what happened. Um, he starts to say like once he starts to get some more information from her, he's like, I'm sure it was just an accident. Um and Lorelai is meanwhile going on like, why did you bring him here? This is your fault. You let him stay. You knew everyone hated him. You knew he was trouble and you didn't listen. Now my daughter is in the hospital. And the fact that she says to Luke, like, this is your fault was so out of line. <laughs> Seriously. And he responds being like, as he is super rational in this moment he's like i had an obligation he's my nephew and lorelei and he has an obligation to Jess to like try and make this work for him mm -hmm. and be a good parental figure and guardian and lorelei does she couldn't care less she's just like <laughs> he is the devil <laughs> she says like she uses his same wording and turns it back and says you had an obligation to the town and to me and rory and, like, the audacity of assuming <laughs> that you he should place you above his, like, own family, his own, mm -hmm. like, he's a guardian of someone, and you're saying that you should have come first? That is so out of line. <laughs> yeah, her who refuses to believe that they are have any sort of romantic tension whatsoever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, that was just, like, we've, we've mentioned often that Lorelai can be pretty self-centered, and I think this was a clear demonstration of that. It was so frustrating. Yeah. Luke, Luke's closing lines are saying, I'm sorry about Rory. You know I care more about her than I do myself. You know she's, you know she's okay. I need to find Jess. I need to make sure he's okay. If that mm -hmm. cuts into your screaming time, that's just too bad. And then Lorelai says, go to hell. And he says, back at you. And I thought that was like really well said on luke's part like from yeah. from the offset of the scene he is immediately starting to worry about jess and like wondering if jess is okay like jess was very much in an accident just like rory was you know yeah. and he doesn't jump to conclusions immediately he doesn't get worked up immediately even after he's heard that there was an accident it's like later on after lorelei has implied it was his fault that's when he like storms out and gets heated but it's a while for him to even get worked up when he has, you know, every right to be just as scared as Lorelai mm -hmm. at this point. Because clearly it's like fear that is fueling her anger, I think. Yeah. Even though she already has confirmation that Rory is fine. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I, I felt so bad for Luke in this instance. And poor Jess, as we'll see later. Poor guy. It was truly... I don't know if Lorelai has ever looked worse in the yeah. show. Like, this was truly a really dark moment for her character. And 
something I was left wondering, like we've both kind of been expressing how like complicated we feel, like how we feel it's complicated to critique this. So that leads to me wondering, like, is the show itself in on this critique? Like, are they showing us like, look how, look what can happen when someone is hurt and someone can lash out Mm -hmm. if that person, like their character at this moment in the show is so wrapped up in like where she's at in her life. Has this all been building like to this point? And I think we'll have to see like how it unfolds in the few episodes afterward. Like if if there's something to follow up with it, I would say, yeah, the show's like this was something they were trying to do and they did it really well because this was really awful, you know. But Mm -hmm. if they're more so like, look what a fired up mom she was. She really defended Rory against (laughs) the bad guy. Justin is defender Luke. Then I will not be so then I'll think we're just critiquing something the show was not aware of, you know. Yeah, that's true. I remember some of what happens next, but not fully everything. So we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. One last thing. I just wanted to say, like, when Jess first arrived, there was the, like, town meeting about him against, like, he didn't know about it. Luke didn't know about it. They went behind his back. um, And Lorelai references, like, the first sign of trouble and how all of the town hates him and doesn't like him and whatnot. And I just remember at the time like of the town meeting it was very much like a language of I'm trying to recall if I think Jess compared it to like Harper Lee and To Kill a Mockingbird and we talked about how Mm -hmm. it was really interesting that the kind of language being referenced is about the sort of like racialized violence of the south and mobs and all of that and how Jess is clearly othered in the town but not in the sense of like a racialized other because he is just he's white you know so I don't know how to make a comparison fully in my mind like I'm trying to think of the thread just the way that Lorelai treats him and is like rushing in and needing to like assume that this like man her her like innocent white pure daughter like the way that she is like vilifying Jess in her mind is so like the white woman yeah I fully agree. And it reminds me of a lot of uh, medieval narratives, mm. <laughs> actually, with where especially like the kind of outcast person is imagined as a monster of some sort. And because of that, they're pushed to the edges. And any time that there's any sort of contact, it is seen as violent no matter what is actually happening. Mm. And oftentimes that was um, either racial, like uh, an analogy for racialized people or people of different religions especially in English literature Mm -hmm. about Jewish people Mm -hmm. like having this kind of like uh corrupting uh nature especially on women Mm -hmm. and yeah I think that's I mean it's it's like an age-old thing um excluding the other and then making them also out to be the villain yeah mostly because of your own exclusion of them (laughs) That's a good comparison because I think what we're trying to do is like understand how Lorelai can like hear we got in an accident there was a small animal just swerved and we hit a pole like that's the story she hears and I don't think we have any reason to believe it's not true like it's not I don't think we have a reason to believe it's a lie or anything like that so it's like how can she hear that and then what is like the process the logic going on in her mind to then 
fuel this behavior from her. And uh, yeah, some of these examples that we're getting at of like this, I hope providing <laughs> answers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she really has like, yeah, view- she really does think of him as this like corrupting monster. Like she doesn't want worry anywhere near him. And she lashes out in the extreme. It's also kind of like a condemnation of the insularity of Stars Hollow, mm-hmm. like that it is, as as we mentioned when Jess first arrived, that he is like already the outcat, the outsider, and there's no way that he could ever become included. Yeah. Like Dean was able to become included and like wondering why exactly that is. Mm-hmm. And if it was a more inclusive town, <laughs> things like this, I'm not saying the accident wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened, but there would have been a lot more options for him and Rory and Mm. also a lot more examples of how to interact with people that you see as different like fundamentally different from you Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff and it's yeah I I mean we all love Stars Hollow obviously but (laughs) there are definitely some dark sides to having this small insular town yeah yeah the like protecting the insularity it's kind of hard to say protecting that is like when Lorelai says why didn't you just send him away at the first sign of trouble like why would you not ask like well of course like the first sign of trouble is a sign that you need to help him you know yeah like was Lorelai as a troubled teen herself when she shows up in Stars Hollow pregnant at 16 did they turn her away was she a sign of trouble but they helped her you know it's like hypocritical and you wonder Mm -hmm. if she would say these same things when she's not in such a state of mind but she has though you know so it's like gotta do some work there Lorelai yourself like yeah you've been in just this situation in some regards and is that how you would have wanted to be treated yourself no yeah it's asking people to be picky about who they help which is never a good thing (laughs) it always leads to problems uh but to get us back onto the episode itself, after this fight, Lorelai, you know, just stares off into the distance and she sees a tow truck pulling up the car. It is pretty totaled and she starts to cry and dials the phone and says a single word, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did you feel about her calling Christopher? I feel like Christopher shows up when you least expect it. But also mm-hmm. at times where it is the most expected. Like if we've ever yeah. seen Lorelai kind of circle back to her past for comfort, it's often him. Like second thoughts about her engagement calls Chris at her party. Worried about Rory and just got in a fight with Luke, who's always been selflessly there for you at every turn. Call Chris, you know, like mm-hmm. I did see it as related to the fight with Luke like I didn't think it was just that I didn't think it was just about Rory I think it was partially about the rejection from Luke of someone who has always been there for her consistently and it's like okay if he just like rejected me who can I rely on in this moment for like emotional support I don't know what did you feel I agree I mean she definitely should have called Christopher regardless because (laughs) Rory's his kid but I agree that the timing of it was fully motivated by the fight that she just had. And it was super reminiscent of all the times she's called him in the past. Mm-hmm. So 
I don't know. And I think he, I mean, this time he really jumped on it. So we'll see where that goes. <laughs> the next scene is my gazebo moment. Lovely. Luke is looking for Jess and he goes to the bridge, which now has a lot of meaning for Jess. Mm-hmm. First, he was pushed off the bridge by Luke. <laughs> and then yeah. he and Rory had their picnic there after he won her basket. And Luke just like, he's he's the opposite of Lorelai in this situation. He's calm. He sits down. He doesn't say anything. Jess says... I made sure she was okay, and he's just looking down at the water. Luke says, I know you did, and they just sit there in silence, and it was, like, so touching, and I felt so bad for Jess because it was an accident. Mm -hmm. He didn't do this on purpose like Lorelai thinks he did. He cares a lot about Rory, and it's clear, like, he didn't want this to happen because it's also going to have long-ranging effects on his capability of being with Rory. I, I just felt so bad for him and he was just like so heartbroken broken in this scene and Luke was such a good like he was so good in this just being there silent support yeah like just the display of Luke's trust in Jess when he says like I know you did says a lot about Luke and their relationship together and it's so the scene is just so bittersweet then knowing that He's going to leave, you know, after this and is perceived as being so guilty for something that he was just simply an accident, like you said. (laughs) Yeah. Any driver can get in an accident. I feel like teenagers are much more susceptible to it, but it's also a deer. My parents have been in an accident because a deer ran out in front of them. Like, literally, there couldn't be anything that's less his fault. And he was also told to drive by Rory, so. Yeah. Is there a realm in which we're supposed to believe that despite what Rory says about the animal, that Jess was being a reckless driver? Because we saw him being reckless earlier in the car. Like, are we supposed to think, like, does that validate Lorelai's feelings that she blames Jess for this? Because, you know, he was being reckless earlier, So, like, her impulse to think that maybe he wasn't being responsible, like, is not without a shred of truth. Or is it supposed to be, like, just truly emphasize the randomness of it? Like, when he Mm -hmm. wasn't even being irresponsible, that was just when something randomly so bad happened, you know? I don't know. I feel like the show is making, just leaving us with these questions. Ambiguous. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of inclined to go with your last option that it's just like an emphasis on how random everything is. But we can't deny that he also was being reckless earlier. So I don't know. I want to be on Jess's side uh, wholeheartedly. Yeah, I think we're like Luke. We trust him (laughs) when he says he... He said, I made sure she was okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that's even like regardless of exactly why the accident happened... He did that, you know, he called the ambulance probably, I think Rory says that. And then he, he left, poor, poor guy, he wasn't even taken in or anything. Okay, we're about to wrap up this very long, eventful day and episode. The last scene of the day is Lorelai, you know, Rory has arrived in bed and Lorelai is doting on her 
to the extreme. Uh, Lorelai wants to sleep in a chair next to her. Uh, she falls asleep, and when she wakes up, Chris is sitting in a chair asleep next to her, too. I thought that was pretty creepy. <laughs> I thought it was sweet, actually. <laughs> it was it was sweet, but it would be so creepy to wake up and see somebody next to you when you didn't think there was anybody there. It would be a shock for me. Yeah, but um, it's like, again, trying to represent his um, level of care for Rory at this point. And when they, like, walk out of the room to talk... He says, I like came as soon as I heard and I I went to the hospital. You were already gone. Lorelai hugs him. Um, she's very moved by this sort of like concerned father behavior he's displaying. But it just makes me like laugh because I'm like, what did Lorelai tell him? Because I does he think like Rory was in like mortal danger or her injuries were super worse? Like it. He could have come in the morning. Like, it was a simple fracture. <laughs> and they're act they're both acting like she is very mortally wounded or something like that. Um, and I think we're supposed to think, of like, oh, how nice. But, yeah, it seems a little bit over the top. <laughs> he also goes off on Jess without knowing him at all. And I I think when Chris is saying it, it, it is more just kind of like the hyperbolic, like, oh, I'll kill him kind of thing casual you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> but also like Lorelai is she is instigating in her in her own way and they both just I don't just like the inability to recognize that it wasn't Jess's purpose or fault for this to happen I don't know it's just aggravating but Lorelai talks about how terrible it was for her to hear about the accident and then um, they both kind of apologize for their previous fight and seem to be, this seems to have been like the thing that was needed to patch up their relationship. Yeah. At one point, Lorelai asks, is Sherry cool with you staying here? And he says, Rory comes first. The second, avoiding mm. a question about Sherry of the episode <laughs> and there will be another in yeah. a moment <laughs> the following day chris is still there and they're heading to the movie night so lorelei and chris are walking and rory separates to talk to lane here and i just wanted to say lane kim is the only example <laughs> of someone who is dealing with this situation appropriately yeah it's just that Lane is not being jumping to conclusions or making judgments. Like she inquires about both Jess and Dean. Like she's just listening to her friend. And this is making me think like I just feel bad for Rory as she's talking to Lane because she's saying like everyone is so upset. Everyone needs time to like cool off. And it's just the fact that Rory is like noticing everyone has been making this about themselves. It's like this happened to her and she probably doesn't even feel like she can feel the feelings related to the accident and what happened or even process her own guilt or fear or anger or like maybe she's just okay with all of it. But no one is yeah. giving her that space. They're all just filling it up with their own feelings, Lorelai's feelings, Chris's feelings. And it's like, they just need to get over themselves. <laughs> yeah, Rory is always just like stuck as the mediator of everybody else's emotions, especially Lorelai's. But I agree. Lane was great. She also brought a sticker for the cast, which mm -hmm. I thought was 
cool because I remember I never broke a bone, but whenever any friends would or anything, it was like almost a cool thing to have a cast for people to like sign and draw things on. So at least she gets a sticker. We also, Suki is with them and we find out that Jackson isn't there because he's singing to his persimmons, which I just loved. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we have Kirk's film which is my Stars Hollow moment, so kind of related to yours earlier. And this is my gazebo moment. The film itself, the like the sequence that they show is, yeah, that's my gazebo moment. It's just like so avant-garde. I labeled it as stoic noir. Mm. There, He's there with um, the actresses. Like she's a in a whole bunch of comedies. I can't remember her name, but she's like a big, I mean, big comedian actress mm-hmm. in lots of shows and movies um but it's like an introduction to the parents and it <laughs> escalates into kirk doing a dance in front of the parents taking off his shirt <laughs> it's just like all weird everybody's saying their lines like with a straight serious face mm-hmm. it's just hilarious <laughs> yeah it's black and white very moody there's fog when it opens up and yeah it's just so surreal like it seems to be a very like mechanical like family drama but then it turns into this like dancing and Lorelai says later on he raps we don't get to see that unfortunately after the fact Miss Patty says she did the choreography which I thought was a hilarious detail about the film production (laughs) um Overall, it's just so delightful. And I love the Gilmore Girls impulse to like not only imagine that Kirk is secretly a filmmaker, but to then like dedicate time within the space of the episode to show it and that they so creatively imagine like what would his filmmaking style be like. And Mm -hmm. it's just so out of the box and so spot on hilarious, really. Um, and it, I think it indicates like a, I don't know, like later on in the revival, it's a bit notorious for the fact that they they make a whole Stars Hollow musical and it takes up so much space of the episode. <laughs> and I think there's productive critiques of that. Like there's like, you didn't give Lane a storyline at all, but you gave so much time to this musical. But like, I do love, I do sort of love this like whimsical impulse they have for segments like this that I don't think you would see in a lot of other shows like I just really Mm -hmm. admire the choice I love it I wish they would just release Kirk's by or films by Kirk yeah release the tapes (laughs) yeah after or I guess kind of during this um we hear Miss Patty and Babette kind of gossiping about how the same night as the crash Luke took Jess straight to the bus station and sent him off. So he's gone now. They heard he wanted to go, which is interesting. Yeah, which I think must be must be the truth because I think like you can just tell from the, the their interaction, their last interaction that it was going to be they both realized it was going to be really hard and I don't see Luke forcing him to leave like I I kind of see Luke even trying his best to convince him to stay. Agreed. During this 
exchange as well. There's a final Sherry mention again. Him and Lorelai are chatting. They're sharing a lot of their very, you know, longing looks. They're close. They're like flirting again a bit. And she's like, well, you have to get back to Sherry. And he says, I wish I could stay. Uh, just, you know, implying I think that there's trouble in paradise for Chris uh, that we will pick yeah. up on later. Yeah, overall a very eventful episode. We had a lot to say. <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel like of all the places, like this is... This was like the emotional climax of the season and everything else from here is kind of resolution, even though there are some pretty momentous things that happen. But so I think it's appropriate. It was a whole lot. It was a storm, a perfect storm. Yeah. (laughs) So if some of our thoughts were storm like, you know, I think it's fitting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So don't forget to rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Talking Fast Podcast. And email us your thoughts, especially if you agreed or disagreed with our thoughts this episode or have different perspectives, to TalkingFastPodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time to see the consequences of all this. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Talk to you then. Yeah.